All right, well, to start off with, we got some announcements, and if you were around for Wednesday, you know that we had a family Wednesday at the well night uh, where everyone came out on Wednesday, on Wednesday. We had lots of water games, we had lots of fun. Tyler's hanging out with a bunch of people there. Uh, actually, Tyler and I got soaked. We uh, were dubbed the um, dunkers, and everyone kind of threw bean bags at our, our makeshift uh, but really cool uh, dunk tank. Uh, so there was plenty uh, of water games. We had a, uh, what was it, the, the old balloon toss. And I tell you what, there was a couple students who were pros at this. They won, I think, f all the rounds. And they went the farthest, and I don't even think their, their balloon broke. But anyways, we had lots of fun. We had some snacks. There was a little, uh, what is it called, the cakewalk? So people won some cakes. I heard some people won a couple times. So um, I think, yeah, Caleb, pointing back to Caleb back there. Uh, yeah, so we had lots of fun, uh, and it was really just kind of a kickoff for the whole fall, and it was a big thing for us as just the youth. That was kind of our first kickoff uh, for youth stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, second thing, all you ladies, there is uh, some women's ministry stuff coming up. Uh, just check out the bulletin. I don't have details, but just check out the bulletin. There's lots of details about what's coming up next. Um, lastly, we have a bunch of youth announcements. So this Wednesday is our first official youth group. So it'll be starting at from, going from 6.30 to 8. Uh, we're going to be here at the well. Um, and we're really going to have just kind of an introduction to just the fall. Really an introduction to kind of, you know, maybe some sharing some stories, laying the fo uh, foundation of what we're doing as the youth. Uh, so we'll be doing that this Wednesday. Um, next, uh, Bible study for high schoolers. This is something that we started kind of late last year just to see if there was an interest. And so a lot of the high schoolers love it. So this is something that we're now just implementing uh, along with our youth group. So it'll be Tuesdays from 6 to 7.30 uh, at the Stufflebeam House, uh, Shiloh and I. Um, so we'll be doing meeting this week uh, for that. Uh, another one here, we have home groups. You know, that, that's something we've been doing uh, as a, um, just as, as youth. We're meeting at people's homes really as a time to build community with each other. Uh, and this is for middle school and high school. And on sep September 7th, we'll be doing it at the Body Combs. We're going to have a swimming pool, food, games. Uh, and we're actually going to be doing some testimonies with, through a, like kind of a panel discussion. So we'll be interviewing some of the, uh, the leaders that help volunteer for our youth group. Uh, and then finally, for you parents, we've got some kind of some... Uh, stuff for you guys to look at and sign. We have a media release, so if we take pictures at, at an event uh, that, you know, basically is permission that we can, you know, use it on a slide or we put it on our website. Uh, we also have a medical release thing for all of our events throughout the whole year. Uh, and finally, probably the best one is our calendar. So if you do want any of those other uh, release forms, you can see me. I'll get those to you. The calendar is actually going to be out there on the cart. Uh, and even if you're not doing youth stuff and you're just kind of here and you want to know what's going on, I totally pick one up. It has all the stuff that I mentioned uh, for the next three months uh, for, for youth stuff.
good morning. I really uh, appreciate that video uh, in light of what we're going to be talking about through Philippians. Uh, if you're joining us, uh, haven't been here before, welcome. My name is Richie, and I get the uh, privilege of being the lead pastor here at the well. And uh, for several months, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And the uh, book of Philippians is actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the believers in a city called Philippi. And today we're going to look at Philippians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And, and that video sets a stage for us because the Apostle Paul is talking about being an example, imitating him, imitating those believers that are walking according, uh, you know, scriptural principles and what lives are honoring God. And I was thinking about that, and, and, and I thought of, uh, if you were here for Doris Christensen's memorial, I shared a statistic from around 2010, 2011, way before the explosion of social media. And back then, sociologists were, were telling us that the most introverted person will still influence 10,000 people in your, in your lifetime. The most introverted person, again, this is way before social media, Facebook, internet exploded. The most introverted person will still influence about 10,000 people in the course of your life. And, and I was thinking of that in light of examples and people who are watching you, watching me in your homes, in your family circles, right, at your workplace. If they're watching you, the question today is, what kind of example are you setting? And, and is your life one that you would actually want them to imitate when it comes to being a follower of Christ? And in Philippians 3.17, the Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We're going to focus on verse 17 this morning. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That, that's a pretty weighty statement, right? Now, Paul isn't being... Uh, you know, boastful or arrogant. In fact, earlier in this chapter, he has said, you know what? I get it. Let me be honest with you. I'm not attained. I'm not there yet. I'm not, you know, the perfect Christian. I'm not the perfect follower, uh, but I'm pressing on. And here he says, you know, to the degree that, that I have been transformed, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what he's saying in that word be is, is, is it's what they call a present imperative. It's supposed to be our lifestyle, our habitual practice, he's saying, is, is you know what? To imitate, to imitate me as I follow Christ. This word imitate is related to our word mime, pantomime, right? How many are old enough to remember a machine called a mimeograph? Thank you, Ernie, right? <laughs> Right? A mimeograph, for those who don't know, there was a stencil, and out of one stencil, you would make a whole bunch of copies, right? So mime, pantomime, pattern, model, example. Again, just kind of review your life in the last week. What kind of pattern, model, example of a follower of Christ have you been? Particularly to those who know you best in your home, Right? who see everything, hear everything, right? And, and, and again, this isn't meant to be, to be, you know, this heavy, like, finger-pointy thing. It's meant to sort of, like, wake us up. Because sometimes as believers, we, we're more apt to focus on being an example and a pattern for everyone outside our house. Everyone outside our house, right? And we, we, uh, we had a parenting class here a couple Saturdays ago, and, and the, the different sessions that we watched really said, you know what, the kids, are, you got to speak to their heart. You got to speak to their heart. They're seeing you. They're watching, right? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, it, it's, it's what's caught, not what's taught? Anyone ever hear that, right? Right? Anybody ever hear, or maybe you have ever said this as a parent, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, that doesn't really fly, does it? 
Because how many of you have parents have seen your little angel grow up and start doing what you do? Anyone? And you're like, oh my gosh, they're mini-me's, right? Good and bad, like the video, right? We celebrate when they, when they mimic us and imitate all the good things, but whoo, when they throw that temper tantrum and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me, right? So we're watching. People are watching, and the question today is, is would you be able, would you want to even say with the Apostle Paul, hey, join in imitating me. As much as progress as I've made in Christ, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but join in imitating me. Where, where are you in that spectrum? Okay, Leon Morris says this. He, Paul, calls on his converts to imitate him. But in the very act of saying this, he points them away from himself. The reason they should imitate him is that he imitates Christ. His example points them to the Savior. So it's not about me. What you want people to do is look at your life and his example as a pattern and go, man, there's something different about you. What, what is it about you? Or somebody, you're at work, let's say you're a coworker, and the way that you, you handle yourself with integrity, the way you treat people, the way you take care of the, the mundane, mundane details of life. You know, someone is watching you at all times. You just don't know it. It could be the security guard at the front door. Wondering if you, you know, if you say hi to them, if you even notice, acknowledge their presence. The person in the cubicle next to you who hears everything over the wall, right? And how many of us would, would just would say, you know what, I'm living my life in such a way that, that maybe down the road you would have a conversation with someone and, and suddenly it comes out that you're a believer and they're like, I knew there was something about you. I knew it. You, 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 you're joyful. You, you treat others with respect around here. You know, I knew it. You're, you're a person of integrity. I know people cut corners around here all the time, but you never do. You stay till you're supposed to stay. You get, I knew it, right? And so many of us, without even being aware, again, beginning in our home with our siblings, our parents, close friends, they're watching you, your model, your example your pattern. Henry Blackaby says this, Paul understood that the ultimate role model is Christ. As he strove to be like Christ, he urged others to follow his example. Paul was not boasting. He understood fully that the only things in his life worth emulating were the things that were like Jesus. He was taking on the responsibility of mentor, and he took it seriously. He was motivated by love for those Christians less mature in their faith than he was. His desire was not that they be like him, but like Christ. Is that your desire? Would you, would you simply just, you know, be overjoyed if someone said, you know what? You know one of the biggest influences in my life coming to Christ, if someone would say, you know what? I was just watching you. I just watched you. Sunday's at the well. I just watched you. You know, when, when we were around, I, how many of you would just love someone to, to know that you influenced someone for Christ just the way you live? How many of that would just like light your fire? You never shared the gospel. You never shared the four spiritual laws. You never quoted anything, but your life influenced them to Jesus, right? Because they're watching us. In Ephesians 5.1, it kind of goes to the whole church. He says this in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the New Living Translation, it says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. And so this this idea of imitation, ultimately of Christ, comes out of our new covenant relationship, right? Just like the video, we're children of God, our desire, our heart should be to imitate him. Now, what's, what's interesting is I was, as I was preparing for this and, and challenge really in my own life and, and how we do church in America, it's very interesting because I think that this idea of role model and example and people you imitate, somehow, somehow, it went from the grassroots church to the superstars on the stage. Somehow, in the church of celebrity, the people that we're supposed to be are supposed to be examples and are supposed to you know, be the ones that we imitate ultimately to Jesus is everyone up here with the mics or have the titles around 
the place, right? And then you said, well, I'm just a, I'm just an attender, you know, I just. And the truth is, this idea of imitating God, this idea of imitating Paul like he imitates Christ, it starts at the grassroots. This, this, is, a, this is a we moment right here. And I'm like, well, well how, how did we get from we're all supposed to be imitators of God, to glorify God, to influence people to the gospel? How did it get from this big church-wide mandate to the superstars on the stage, the select few, God's all-stars, right? The varsity, it's the varsity. I'm just JV, you know, I just ride the bench, you know? How did that happen? And I think over time, we, we kind of lost sight of the idea even of, of discipleship and defining what is a disciple, and then suddenly even discipleship becomes programmatic. And discipleship is for the serious Christians, who go on Tuesday night or go on Wednesday night or go whatever, you know, discipleship, right? Do you want to be discipled? And somehow in the church, discipleship became optional or it became for a select few. And that's not, that's not really the definition of discipleship and even being a disciple. And if you start to compartmentalize it, suddenly again, in your mind, in your heart, you begin clergy, laity, JV, varsity, super spiritual, I'm just an attender. And the truth is, we're all disciples of Christ. We're all disciples. There is no distinction between I'm just a believer and a disciple. And we're going to look at church history a little bit today, and we're going to look at maybe some core foundational truths that Hopefully, we'll free you from some false beliefs and some things you've picked up and maybe inspire you to go influence 10,000 plus people just by how you live, just by how you live. So let's look back all the way to Acts 9. It's very interesting. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch... The who? The disciples were first called what? Christians. Wait, what? The disciples were first called Christian. You mean Christian came after disciple? Right? And so we got to understand what are these words? Because again, they're so churchy that we probably have taken them for granted. Right? So disciples were first called Christians, and in fact, historically, they believed that the word Christian was derogatory. It was meant to be a negative sort of a slam on you, right? That's, that's your, your where it originated. The, the pagans kind of coined it as a negative term. They threw it out there. Hey, you Christian, you're one of them Christians, right? So a disciple is someone who follows the teachings of another, making them his, his or her rule of life and conduct. Very important, Okay. Someone who follows the teachings of another, making them his rule of life and conduct. The word disciple occurs more than 230 times in the gospel and acts. A disciple. Okay? What's a Christian? Disciples were first called Christians. Hmm. Is there a distinction? Are they really the same thing? Because if you're a Christian here this morning... If they're the same thing, then you're a disciple. And according to the definition, the biblical definition of a disciple, it's someone who, again, adheres, who follows the teachings of another, making them his or her rule of conduct. So what's a Christian? You ever think, okay, let's, we'll, we'll go way back. How many of here would profess to be a Christian? And at home, you can raise your hand. Okay, so what is it? What does the word Christian even mean? Right? Christ follower. Well, let me, let me help you a little bit. Christian, two parts, Christ and the suffix I-A-N. Okay? I-A-N is a suffix which means technically belonging to the party of. Okay? Like a, like a political party. So if someone followed Herod back in the day, they would be called Herodians. Right? Herod, I-A-N. Christ, I-A-N. Christian is someone who belongs to or follows Christ. So the disciples were just simply identified 
as those who belonged to or followed Christ. But they were disciples. And this is really important, again, because discipleship in the church is not for the select few. It's just our calling. It's just what we do. If you, and you're going to see by the end of the day, so much of Jesus' teaching comes from the context of discipling, rabbi, student, disciple making, that again, some of you are going to be like, I had no idea. Now I understand all those verses that Jesus kept talking about, leaving everything and following him and being his disciple. It may not have made sense to you until today because discipleship was a program of the church. For a select few where it was convenient, it fit your schedule, and you just decided that it was time to get discipled. That's so far from the biblical construct of discipling and being a disciple. And if you're not careful, speaking to parents a little bit, if you're not careful, your kids are going to pick up the same compartmentalization. If they're not seeing mom and dad as disciples, Christ IANs at home, and they just kind of see discipleship and being a follower of Jesus for the guys and girls on stage and programs of, they're being sent off all these tangents, and they're missing the heart of the gospel. They really are missing the heart of the gospel. So, so Christian, Christ IAN, let me ask you a question this, let me, for all you English majors, is Christian a noun or an adjective? Primarily, what is it? Now, it's really hard in 2022 because we have Christian movies. We have Christian clothing. We have Christian comedians. We have Christian diets. Is Christian a noun or an adjective? Because, again, just like if you don't understand disciple and what a disciple is, if you don't understand the part of speech biblically, foundationally, that Christ, the word Christian is, that you are who raised your hand, it's affecting you. It's affecting your view of you. It's affecting your view of God. It's affecting your view of how you conduct yourselves. Is it a noun or an adjective? Hmm. Driving through L.A., can't, you know, how many times going from here to San Diego, I look for the Christian radio station, right? Christian radio station, Christian, the Christian cable channel. Is it a noun, fundamentally, or an adjective used to just describe things? you got to understand this because this goes fundamentally to what it means when you answer Jesus' call, right? So the answer is, it's a noun. What is a noun, person, place, or thing? Christian, Christ, I-A-N, a believer, a follower of Christ. Christian is a noun. Fundamentally, it is a noun. It's who you are. It's who you are. It just doesn't describe various things, right? And, and historically, they think that, that this, where, where it became an adjective, goes all the way back to about 300 A.D. And in 300 A.D., the word Christendom was coined, okay? And, and Christendom was coined to kind of describe Christian culture, okay? And it's very interesting. Ethan Renault says this. When Christianity became widely accepted across Western culture and Christendom became the predominant form of belief and action, this made room for Christian things to suddenly emerge. Christian things, right? Suddenly, it's shifting from a noun to an adjective used to describe things. Jim Trammell says this, Christian suggests something is modeled from Christ's teaching and example. But we use it to describe groups, goods, and occupations that are not necessarily or explicitly Christian. We have to be careful not to use Christian to sweeten the thing we are talking about. It's a good adjective to describe something that explicitly relates back to the life or teaching of Christ, such as a Christian parable or a Christian belief. Let us recognize something's Christianness based on what it does, 
not based on what we call it. Amen? This is challenging because we live in an adjective, Christian adjective culture. John Foreman of Switchfoot. How many of you have ever Switchfoot? Listen to Switchfoot. This is what he says. I am a Christian and I make music. The music is not saved. It is not Christian. Some of you are like, wait, wait, wait. I like, let, me, let me think about that. Let me, let me think about that. John Foreman of Switchfoot said in an interview, I am a Christian and I make music. The music is not saved. It is not Christian. Because Christian is a noun. Christian is a follower of Christ. Music cannot follow Christ. It's a thing created by someone who is a follower of Christ. Amen? Do you see the, you see the distinction? It's deep. And it, you've got to understand this because you're supposed to be a noun. You're supposed to be a noun out there. And if you don't get this, here's what can happen. We can begin to work the system and use an adjective Christianity to excuse sin and excuse lifestyle choices and excuse decisions that really maybe aren't glorifying to God, but they have an adjective attached to it. Jeffrey Holsclaw says it very good. He says this, too often we think we can take this type of lifestyle and that kind of activity, mix it up with our own personal preferences, and then add a little bit of Christian to it and feel good that our lives are conforming to the gospel. We assemble nouns and verbs of our own liking and then add the Christian adjective. That's pretty weighty. That's pretty weighty. Because people are watching you and they're trying to figure out, if they're non-believers, your kids, they're trying to figure out what it is to be a quote-unquote Christian and we might be confusing people because we're living in adjective world. Rather than just being a noun and letting our life speak for itself and glorify God, and then people will be like, I knew it, you're a noun. Because how many of us honestly have listened or come across Christian adjective, Christian music, Christian literature, Christian speaker, and you cringe? You cringe a little bit because, ooh, it's painful because they attached Christian to it, and it doesn't glorify God. And it's not doctrinally sound. And it's about health, wealth, all this kind of stuff. But because they put Christian in front of it as an adjective, somehow we gave it the initial stamp of okay. You know, sometimes I have to, I have to encourage people and, I, and I, I have to lovingly, you know, correct people sometimes and say, and when they come to me and say, but it's, but it's Christian. I'm like, okay, tell me what you mean by that. What do you mean by that? Well, 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 I'm like, uh huh. Because we've again, maybe it's just convenience. Maybe it's just, you know, we, we don't really, we've never really thought thought it through. But when we put Christian to describe something, we just tend to give it the benefit of the doubt. Him or her, the doctrine, the teaching, the music, the song, whatever we're listening to. We have to be very, very careful, okay? Because Paul says, "Imitate me, imitate me." Noun, Christian. As I imitate Christ. And so I'm like, okay, so, so if it was around 300 AD when Christendom and then Christian things started to appear, how do, we get to, how, do we, how do we get to the root of this? Like, how do we get to just going back to what Jesus meant when he said, hey, follow me, right? Hey, follow me. And if you're going to do that to kind of break through this Christian adjective culture that we live in, you got to go way back, way back, even before 70 AD, back to... Uh, in the Jewish culture, in the, in the historical context, the relationship between a rabbi and a student, okay? Now, you're familiar with rabbis. They were teachers. Their followers or student, students were called Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D, okay? Talmud. If there was a bunch of them, they were Talmudin, okay? So what would happen is they would, uh, the kids would come through their educational system. In their teen years, 
Generally what happened is the, the, the cream of the crop, some of them would want to seek out rabbis. And they would ask to become their follower. And very interesting, if someone asked to become a student, a Talmud of a rabbi, you know what the rabbi would say to that student? Come follow me. Someone else said that, right? Jesus himself was called a rabbi. Nicodemus called him a rabbi in John. The crowd called him a rabbi in John. Andrew called him rabbi. Nathaniel calls him rabbi. So much of Jesus' teaching to the church comes out of this paradigm of rabbi and Talmud. So we've got to understand this because we have to understand the expectations. If you call yourself a noun Christian this morning, right? The primary function of a rabbi was to impart a lifestyle through a set of teachings under which a student placed himself. Luke 6.40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Again, you got to understand this, because this right now, I'm going to tell you right now, what's really challenging is I'm teaching this in the context that it, it, this isn't even the way they used to do church. Rabbis and... Talmuds in the synagogue. So in one sense, I was studying this. I'm like, man, now I get kind of why the church is in the condition that it's in, right? Because it says this in the Talmudian movement. It says, a Talmud is more than a student as we think of a student with a Western mentality. A Talmud is more like an apprentice. Talmudim, or disciples, don't just want to know what the rabbi or the teacher knows. They actually want to be like the rabbi, so here's the fundamental difference. Rabbi Talmudin. It's about not just, hey, teach me what you know, because I want to know it. That's Western. That's what's challenging for us right here. This is what's really challenging for me every Sunday. I come up here, and many have been raised in the church to come to church to gain more knowledge to learn something, to fill in blanks, to take notes. And when we're done, you leave here and you feel better because you learned something. And that's kind of Western church, the end game. It's knowledge acquisition. We have defined discipleship as knowledge acquisition, period. In this culture, you didn't want to just come here to learn what I know you would want to come here to be me. That's the fundamental difference. Talmud wanted to be the rabbi. In this culture, once they said, come follow me, and they accepted, the Talmud would leave home, would leave everything, would be with the rabbi 24-7, would eat when the rabbi ate, would eat what the rabbi ate, would sleep when the rabbi slept, would wake up when the rabbi woke up. 24-7, 365. The Talmud would never be far enough away from the rabbi to not hear him talking in a conversation. The goal of the Talmud was to be the rabbi eventually be the rabbi, to get to know the mannerisms, to get to know everything about this person that they're following. So one day, they would be just like that rabbi. Just like that rabbi. There was a prayer I shared years ago. Sums this up. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Leave that up for a bit. I love this. It's a great word picture of this historical context out of which Jesus is speaking to us. He says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In the culture, they walked everywhere, usually dusty, dirty trails. The goal was to stay so close to the rabbi that if the rabbi kicked up dust, it would get on you. Now think for just a second about your relationship with Jesus. How close are you staying that close to Rabbi Jesus in your life? Are you staying so close to Jesus that you would be covered in Jesus' dust 
at work, at home. Do you want to be like Jesus? Isn't, wasn't that the goal? Isn't the goal to be like Jesus? Amen? Well, if you understand what's going on here historically, the way that you're going to be like Jesus is the same way that Talmud were like the rabbi. You're with them. You're with them. And it's not about head knowledge acquisition. It's about transformation. It is about transformation. It's not quantity. You know how they used to, and this is what's challenging about how we do church here, in the synagogue, you remember, I forget, I think in Luke, where they say that Jesus was about 12 and they were looking for him and they found him in the synagogue. And what was Jesus doing? He was listening and what else? He was asking questions. There was dialogue. So when a rabbi was teaching his student knowledge, there would be discussion. There would be dialogue. There would be fierce debate. As the rabbi tried to speak to the heart of the student. See, that, that when, I, when you understand how they actually did this and how students were transformed, this makes this very difficult. Because we're raised, you know, not just American church, but I'll just say in the American church, you come to church, you sit passively in rows like school, you don't talk, there's no dialogue during this, and you learn to take notes. And then when this is done, we go have coffee and donuts. And we kind of feel like we were, I guess we, I guess we were discipled, I think. Were we discipled, Marvin, today? I don't know. Right? I don't know either. Right? It's challenging. It's very, very challenging the way we do church and then inadvertently teach the church that it's about passive knowledge acquisition rather than transformation. And then what's so interesting is that there's this resistance to transformation. That can occur. I've been in this, you know, 30 plus years, and I get it, I understand it. But if you're gonna be transformed, you gotta let someone into your life. You gotta share. You gotta be willing to let someone speak truth to your heart, speak scripture into your heart. And that's scary, and that makes you vulnerable, and you might have to confess, and you might have to come clean with what you've been doing, yada, 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 right? But that's true discipleship. That's true discipleship. I'll be honest with you. This is very safe. This is very safe. Now, can the Holy Spirit move even through this? 100%. 100%. But this is safe. It's comfortable. There's a gap. More than six feet now because we took out a row, right? You stay there, right? But see, as soon as I do this, now you get all weird, right? Because he's like, oh, man, why is he standing right in front of me? And he's like... Did someone out me? You know, it's like, what do you know? And then start walking around and suddenly it's strange, right? Because I'm invading your personal space now. Right? Oh, right, right, right? This is weird. Even just doing this, right? Everyone woke up. That was asleep because now, oh, wait, he's coming around. <laughs> it's too late. I already saw you from there. Those of you who stayed up late last night, you're already busted. And that camera saw you too. We just laughed. So it's okay. But even this is weird. But even this, physicality makes it more real like a rabbi in a Talmud. This is much more, much more like it is. And then after, we, then we would just talk. And we would discuss. And we would share. And we might debate. And we might get into it a little bit. Because my desire is, to, is heart transformation. Not knowledge impartation. Not having you fill in blanks. And everyone feels good that we went to church, and I think we were discipled, I, I think. I'm not sure, right? Maybe, right? God can do something. That's why, that's why you know, you often hear me say, uh, like, I like James, one of my favorite verses, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer, right? Where does that come from? Rabbi Talmud. If a rabbi said something, the expectation was that you were going to do something with it. But again... The way we do church is we come and we take notes and we listen. 
And there's no permission to ask you, hey, what'd you do with it? I've shared with you over all these years with you, it's tough because I know that you expect me every Sunday to come up with something new. We're supposed to come up with something new. We're supposed to keep moving through Philippians. Give me something fresh. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what did you do with last Sunday? Did you do anything with last Sunday? Because, see, here's the thing. In a rabbi-Talmud relationship, it's not about just moving through a program. You stay somewhere long enough until they get it, till there's transformation. So for some of you, if God speaks to you, my challenge is that stay there. Stay camped right there until God works <laughs> and transforms you there. Amen? Stay right there. But then you come, and we're like, oh, but we're moving through. We're moving forward. Jump on. You know, the train's leaving without you. And, and God's like, where are you going? We were just getting started. I know, but we're in Philippians 3.17. We moved, God. Keep up with Pastor Richie, please. You know? It's so strange. And then we wonder, what? what's going on with the church? What's going on with the church? So having set that historical context of rabbi and Talmud and everydayness and transformation, now I'm going to read some verses to you that you, many of you are very familiar with. Now I think you're going to understand Rabbi Jesus speaking to us. Luke 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, this isn't, Jesus isn't telling you to go hate people. He's saying, by comparison, you should love me so much that by comparison, it looks like hatred. Everything else and everybody else. This is Rabbi Jesus. This was normative. Remember, the Talmud would leave everything. They were so excited. They just left their home. They would follow the rabbi. They would leave mom, dad. They would leave it all. And Jesus just simply says it to the church. Mark 8, 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is Rabbi Jesus speaking to us who profess to be his disciples. Stay close, so close to him, covered in his dust, and you're going to have to work through giving up your own way. Right? How many of you recently or just in the course of time, how many of you in following Jesus have been confronted with giving up your own way? Anyone? Isn't that transformation? The word of God says something. You're like, mm, mm, mm. you know what's going on right there? Rabbi Talmud. Rabbi saying something to you through the word of God. And you're struggling as a student because you're supposed to want to be like who? Him, Rabbi Jesus. And that means giving up your way, dying to self, right? That's the, that's the call of discipleship. Now, what's interesting, you've heard us talk about a yoke, before, and a yoke is something you put on the animals and it kind of keeps them together. Well, what's interesting in the rabbi Talmud relationship, the yoke actually represents a rabbi's teaching or interpretation of scripture. So rabbis would have a yoke. And, and if you wanted to know kind of what, what, what made this rabbi tick, you would say, you would just ask him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Because their yoke was reflective of what they believed to be the Torah or the law, the greatest commandments, right? The Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws, 365 negatives, 248 positives, right? And this is interesting. Here's another familiar passage. So Rabbi Jesus, someone wants to know what his yoke is, right? Matthew 11, Jesus said, "'Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, "'and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. How many of you before just said yoke is like, what is he, his yoke? 
like some animal? No, when he's saying there, take my yoke upon you, he's saying his teaching. Take the yoke of my teaching upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. He's talking about the new covenant, the teaching of the new covenant here, the yoke of the new covenant, right? This is why in Matthew 22, now this conversation will probably make more sense to you. Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. They want to question Jesus. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Does it make a little more sense now? Rabbi Jesus, someone says, hey, what are you all about, Rabbi? You got these followers. Just cut to the, what is your yoke about? Two things. Two things? They got 613. What do you mean you're about two things? It's called the new covenant. So suddenly you realize like, oh my gosh, this whole Rabbi Talmud system is foundational to how I'm supposed to be living my life following Rabbi Jesus around, wanting to be like him. And what is Rabbi Jesus' yoke boiled down to? Two commands. Love God and love others. Amen? This is the transformation of the Rabbi Talmud system from the old covenant to the new covenant. This is all that's happening here. And yet, it's got so messed up. The one thing that's the constant is a disciple follows Jesus. That's never changed. A disciple wants to be like the rabbi. That's never changed. We sort of just, in packaging it and how we program and facilities and all this kind of stuff and teaching at you and very passive and fill in the blanks and here's sermon notes and here's podcasts and here's books, we turn discipleship on its head into knowledge acquisition rather than transformation. And now we're safe and we don't want people in our business because we have guilt and we have shame and we're trying to live under Christian adjectives because the adjectives make us feel better about where we're maybe falling short. Yeah, that's just the state of the church. This is what I work with. This is what the pastors and elders work through, right? Now, maybe this makes more sense too. John eight thirty one. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching or my yoke, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the deal. The rabbis had yoke, had core teaching, and Jesus says, hey, if you hold to my yoke, you're my disciples. Some of these verses, again, if you don't understand the context, you're just kind of reading it like, okay, okay. You got to understand Jesus is speaking to us as Talmud or plural Talmudim, right? Great commission suddenly makes sense. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make, make what? disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's how it works. Again, great commission. Oh, yeah, let's go, you know, go share the gospel. We're to make disciples, not decisions. Some of you have heard that before. We're called to make disciples, and I'm hoping you understand what that means now, right? Because, again, here's the picture. Rabbi Jesus, who's the Talmudim, plural? Who? The church, the body of Christ, the noun, the body of Christ. We are the Talmudim. The goal of the Talmudim is to be like who? Jesus. So that, according to the Great Commission, we are now given the authority to the power of the Holy Spirit to go what? Make disciples because Talmudim become like the rabbi and now they can go repeat the cycle. 
That's the point. It's not programs and big events. I know they all have, they have their place, but we are called to make disciples. So you, at the grassroots level, this, this great commission is not for the all-stars up here. It's not for the special events. This is us, Talmud, Talmudin, plural, following the rabbi and wanting to go make more Talmudin. That's the process. That's how it kind of works. It's about transformation. It's about active engagement. It's about following Rabbi Jesus so close that you would be covered in his dust. Now, maybe quiet time makes sense. Now, pray without ceasing makes sense. The power of the Holy Spirit makes sense. Fellowship makes sense. Getting engaged in Bible. And now all these other things that are out there that keep you, they just keep you connected to Rabbi Jesus. Amen? That's why you do this. It's not just good things that the pastors say you should do. Being in the word of God is being with Rabbi Jesus. And letting him through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, speak truth into you, Talmud. And you might debate and dialogue. How many of you have ever had a debate or dialogue with Jesus about something you didn't particularly like? Well, well, they were doing that back in his day. That's what they did. It's okay. That's the point. Wrestle with it. He wants your heart. And it's okay. Lord, I'm really struggling with this. I don't like this one. I don't want to forgive. I don't want, okay, let's work it out. Go talk to someone. Pray with Pastor Randy afterwards. Get into fellowship. Share what's going on in your life. That's Rabbi Talmud. That's Rabbi Talmud, right? So the question, again, goes all the way back, right? In in Philippians 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So so just take a quick quick survey. Just, oh my gosh, just ask yourself, this summer, because I know, you know, summer is kind of a, can be a challenging time. Everyone's all over the place. How close have you been staying to Rabbi Jesus? This past summer, this past week? How much would you want someone to imitate you and your walk? What kind of example, even in your home, even with your siblings, what kind of example are people seeing when it comes to being a Talmud of Jesus? Right? Years ago, um, you know, many of you know I have five kids, and as a dad, you get these projects. I don't was this from school or from VBS or something? So you, you get one of these. I got one of these. I don't, one of my kids gave these to me, but I kind of use it to represent all of my kids, and I keep it in my office all these years. Somebody's footprint, right? It says, I'm following in your footsteps. I keep that in my office because it's a reminder. And it's not they're following my footsteps because I know you want me to be a pastor, Dad. No. I'm following in your footsteps, and it's a stark, it's been a reminder for all these years that my kids are watching me. And I'm an example. And I hope that they would want to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think for the most part, I've done pretty good. But I'll be honest with you, my kids have seen me at my worst. They've seen me and my wife at the not happy moments in our marriage and in life situations. And yeah, there's, there's, there's cringy moments where this, this, this zings me because I'm like, oh, I hope they don't remember that footstep. I hope they just think of that as a little dad veering off into Kerchak crazy mode. And then, and then they saw dad confess before God. And then they saw dad ask mom to forgive him and to own what I needed to own. I hope they follow those footsteps to receive God's grace when you blow it and, and when you hurt the one you love and you say something you shouldn't and you just... 
you know, just lose it, just go crazy. Isn't that, isn't that weird, Randy, right? Here we are. See, you just lied, so you have to confess that too. So. It's just so much happening in our country and in the world, the economy, the health, the, there's just so much. And as I was studying this, I just said, Lord, can we just cut right to what it's supposed to be? Staying close, so close to Rabbi Jesus that we will be covered in his dust. Let's just go back to staying there. Amen? Just go back. And, and, and live a life that glorifies God. And so you, you would want people to imitate you as you imitate Christ. You would want it to feel good about the example you're setting. None of us are perfect, right? How many times have I told you, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up, right? So none of us are perfect. We're not, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, see, I told you I'm not perfect. Go ahead, just turn and see. See, I, I told you. I told you, right? But here, here, here's the glorious thing. Here's the glorious thing. When you're not perfect and you blow it and maybe you sin, you confess it and God will forgive you. Amen? And you just, you just get back and follow him. Just get back and follow Jesus. Where are we going now, Jesus? Just follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. Follow me to work. Follow me to school. Follow me to your house. Just follow me. Just follow me. And if you want to get into a debate and a dialogue about something, do it. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I really need, I, I don't understand this. Can you bring me some people to help me understand? Can, I need some people to pray. I just need help with this. That's what they would do. Because it's about transformation. It's about transformation one step at a time. Okay? Jeffrey Perry says this, when we go back to the adjective Christianity, he says this, by decreasing Christianity to an adjective, we fail to equip our people to apply their Christian faith to everything they do, everywhere they are. The world does not need more Christian sports heroes, Christian actors, or Christian business owners. The world needs more people who are following Christ acting like Christ, and telling people about Christ while operating in their daily lives for his glory. Amen? We don't need a platform. We don't need to be a celebrity and a superstar. You just be you. Just be you. Walking shelf road. Wherever you're going to lunch. Just be a Talmud of Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Okay? And we close with this uh, poem, some of you may be familiar with it. It's called The Gospel According to You. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is the Gospel According to You. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Do men read his truth and his love in your life, or has yours been too full of malice and strife? Does your life speak of evil, or does it ring true? Say, what is the gospel according to you? Right? And that's, that's something where what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity to have a time of reflection, confession if you need to, if you realize you've not been very close to Rabbi Jesus and following his footsteps lately, confess. He knows. He knows. You're not going to tell him something he doesn't already know. If there's areas where you know you've been disobedient or you've been in just making poor choices, sinful choices, confess it. And come back to following his footsteps. And so what we want to do we're going to give you an opportunity, you know, an option for, for communion, and, and I think this will be significant for some of you here. Uh, there are communion cups in the rows there, but you see there's also here. And now that you understand 
what Rabbi and Talmud is all about, that it's not passive, that it's actually following, being a follower, being vulnerable, being exposed to those around as a follower, we wanted to give you an opportunity for communion after a time of prayer and reflection. If you want to come up as sort of a symbolic gesture that, yeah, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a noun Christian. I belong to Christ. And I'm not perfect, and I may have blown it even this morning or yesterday or this week, but God has forgiven me. And I'm going to come up in remembrance of Jesus. And I'm going to come up, not taking take communion, take it back. But this is your opportunity to profess. I'm a follower of Christ. Now, if you're not able to come up or, you know, you want to just stay in your rows for a communion, that's 100% fine. This isn't a comparison thing. This is an opportunity for you, understanding the Rabbi Talmud context, to have one-on-one moment with Jesus and to have a physical demonstration of a conviction of your heart. From this day forward, from this moment forward, I'm going to do my best to stay, to stay so close that I would be covered in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Father, thank you for our time this morning where I pray that it's been more clear that we are simply to follow Jesus and let our life be the example. We are to stay so close to you, Jesus, be covered in your dust, that our words and our actions would glorify you, would be the example that is set in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends and family, wherever we go. But we also fall short, Father, so give you an opportunity to speak to our hearts in areas of our life that has not been glorifying to you. Worry, we have been in disobedience, maybe complacent, apathetic, caught up in the things of the world, I don't know. But Father, search our hearts and, and bring those things to, to our mind that needs to be confessed. And, and then Father, for those who are here or listening or will be listening and you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe today it's just more clear. Maybe you've been to churches or you've heard it before and, and it's kind of just a lot and it's been overwhelming. And, and I want to encourage you that it's, it's the simplicity of following Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So I pray for those, Father, those that need to put their faith in Jesus to establish the new covenant relationship as a follower of Christ, that you would put your faith in Jesus this morning. And if you don't know how, you can say something like this, just between you and God. Say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. This morning I understand more clearly what it is to be a Christian, that, that if I put my faith, as I put my faith in Jesus, I am born again. So I'm trusting you this morning, oh God. I'm believing that Jesus Christ was crucified. He died, rose from the dead for my sin. The best way I know how I'm putting my faith in Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to just know what you know. Jesus, I want to live a life that glorifies you, and I want you to transform me. It's about transformation. So Jesus, I I choose today to be your follower. So we're going to play a song. The lyrics will be up on the screen. And this is your time of prayer and reflection. Whenever you're ready, you can come up. And if you want to come up for communion, you can. Um, If you want to take communion in your seat, you're more than welcome to do that. So this will be your time. All right. Well, to start off with, we got some announcements. And if you were around for Wednesday... You know that we had a family Wednesday at the well night uh, where everyone came out on Wednesday, on Wednesday. We had lots of water games. We had lots of fun. Tyler's hanging out with a bunch of people there. Uh, actually, Tyler and I got soaked. 
we uh, were dubbed the um, Dunkers, and everyone kind of threw bean bags at our our makeshift uh, but really cool uh, dunk tank. Uh, so there was plenty uh, of water games. We had a uh, what was it the the old balloon toss, and I tell you what, there was a couple students who were pros at this. They won, I think, f all the rounds, and they went the farthest. And I don't even think their their balloon broke. But anyways, we had lots of fun. We had some snacks. There was a little. Uh, what is it called? The cakewalk? So people won some cakes. I heard some people won a couple times. So um, I think, yeah, Caleb, pointing back to Caleb back there. Uh, yeah, so we had lots of fun. Uh, and it was really just kind of a kickoff for the whole fall. And it was a big thing for us as just the youth. That was kind of our first kickoff uh, for youth stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, second thing. All you ladies, there is uh, some women's ministry stuff coming up. Uh, just check out the bulletin. I don't have details, but just check out the bulletin. There's lots of details about what's coming up next. Um, lastly, we have a bunch of youth announcements. So this Wednesday is our first official youth group. So it'll be starting at from, going from 6.30 to 8. Uh, we're going to be here at the well, um, and we're really going to have just kind of an introduction to just the fall, really an introduction to kind of, you know, Maybe some sharing some stories, laying the fo uh, foundation of what we're doing as the youth. Uh, so we'll be doing that this Wednesday. Um, next, uh, Bible study for high schoolers. This is something that we started kind of late last year just to see if there was an interest. And so a lot of the high schoolers love it. So this is something that we're now just implementing uh, along with our youth group. So it'll be Tuesdays from 6 to 730 uh, at the Stufflebeam House, uh, Shiloh and I. Um, so we'll be doing meeting this week. Uh, for that. Uh, another one here, we have home groups. You know, that, that's something we've been doing uh, as a, um, just as, as youth. We're meeting at people's homes really as a time to build community with each other. Uh, and this is for middle school and high school. And on sep September 7th, we'll be doing it at the Body Comes. We're going to have a swimming pool, food, games. Uh, and we're actually going to be doing some testimonies with, through a, like kind of a panel discussion. So we'll be interviewing some of the, uh, the leaders that help volunteer for our youth group. Uh, and then finally, for you parents, we've got some kind of some uh, stuff for you guys to look at and sign. We have a media release. So if we take pictures at, it, at an event uh, that, you know, basically it's permission that we can, you know, use it on a slide or we put it on our website. Uh, we also have a medical release thing for all of our events throughout the whole year. Uh, and finally, probably the best one, is our calendar. So if you do want any of those other uh, re release forms, you can see me. I'll get those to you. The calendar is actually going to be out there on the cart. Uh, and even if you're not doing youth stuff and you're just kind of here and you want to know what's going on, I totally pick one up. It has all the stuff that I mentioned uh, for the next three months uh, for, for youth stuff.